0: So we are here today, Phil and I, with Scott Ellis from HuntQuest and also a three-time Grand National turkey calling champ, um, which is pretty exciting. We're we're excited to kind of learn from him. And I mean, Phil and I, obviously, we turkey hunt, but to be able to talk to someone who can really call. (laughs) I'm
1: certainly not a grand champion.
0: No, I mean, I get by, but... Well I'm glad to be here
1: guys. Absolutely happy to be here and talk turkey with you guys. It's uh I can do it pretty much uh with my eyes closed twenty four seven and in my sleep. So well, let's talk turkey.
2: Hey, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I I always say I like turkey hunting ninety nine point nine percent as much as I like deer hunting. So that's pretty that's pretty good considering I absolutely love deer hunting.
1: Right, right, I'm with you. And I'm an archer um, more than anything anymore. I do pretty much, I bow hunt white tails and that's really exciting. But that's the only thing that comes close to me to uh, turkey hunting in the spring is uh, is shooting a deer with a bow, which is exciting. Not quite the same as a goblin strutting tom though. <laughs>
2: right, uh, I'm totally with you there.
0: So tell us a little bit and tell our, uh, our followers, our listeners a little bit about kind of your background. We did get a question um from instagram asking how you kind of got your start turkey hunting so maybe we'll start from there and, and and then go
1: absolutely well i started my turkey hunting as a young fella about 10 years old i'd uh, cut my teeth on squirrels and dove hunting and actually learned to blow a duck call even younger than 10 years old as a little fella uh and loved waterfowl hunt and uh, my father and my uncle were hunters but didn't get obsessed with hunting like I did. They liked the woods. They liked shooting guns. And uh, they liked the camaraderie of just being in the woods and the fellowship of being in the woods. But they just, I took it to another level. I just, the passion just, it's overwhelmed me basically. And um, my dad and my uncle did not know how to turkey hunt when I came along and decided I was reading these articles and magazines and going, wow, this is so amazing that you can talk to this bird in his own language. And he gobbles and he struts, and they're so beautiful. And little did I know how exciting it actually would be. But back to the original story, my very first turkey hunt was a fall turkey hunt. And uh, I love giving this gentleman credit. I don't even know where he's at anymore. I have no contact with him, but his name was Glenn Wilson. And he is the first person that I ever saw run a mouth call. And uh, I was absolutely mesmerized listening to this guy blow air across latex and this piece of surgical tape and aluminum frame and make these sounds and, and, and learning how extensive the turkey vocabulary really was. And, uh, and and looking back, he wasn't even that great a caller, but it was still enough to absolutely blow my mind and, and, to, and, and convince me and, and to know I wanted to do this, you know. So we went out on a December morning, I believe it was, in central Florida. It was misting rain. It was a really crappy morning, lack of better terminology. Um, we did not hear any turkeys off the roost. Um, and again, we were fall hunting. So we were going to do kiki runs and assembly yelps. <clears throat> and I just sat there and I remember putting a head net and gloves on and we just set up under some oak trees and just listening to this guy run this turkey call. And I was just mesmerized, like I said. And from there, I'm, I started picking his brain and asking questions about the spring and how the, the fall flocks and how turkeys acted during the fall changed as they go into the breeding cycle during the spring. And that's what really piqued my interest when I learned about how you're emulating a hen to try to pull a gobbler into gun range. So I was, after that point, moving forward, I was 100% hooked and, and absolutely consumed by the wild turkey, and have been now. I'm 44, and I was 10, so 35, 34 years. My math's not very good, but 34 years. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds like a, a good reason to get into it, for sure. I mean, I, um, I know just personally, I always – I, I was a, I can kind of share that with you. My dad hunted, my uncles hunt, but um, I was obsessed with hunting at a young age. I, I would lay in bed wishing I was 12 years old so I could go hunting because in <laughs> Minnesota at the time, you had to be 12 to hunt pretty much anything. I remember laying in bed all the time just thinking... I just wish I could be 12 years old. Wow. So that's cool that you have kind of the same experience.
1: There. Absolutely. And, and that was pretty much the same way I was, Phil. I mean, I, it was all hunting, but once turkeys came into my life, it was another an level of passion and obsess, obsessing over these, you know, being in the woods at all period, just hunting anything, but turkeys took it to another level for sure.
0: And from my experience, it's it's been the the communication with the birds and kind of that piece that really sets it apart and is that kind of what you found then as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm
0: assuming?
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, you can grunt a deer up, you know, you can buck grunt a deer up, you can bleed a deer up during the rut, you can rattle a deer in, but a deer's number one sense of communication is actually scent. Um, what's so cool about turkeys, they don't smell. Their eyesight and their hearing is bionic and uh, they can run 20, 25 miles an hour and fly about 45 miles an hour. So thank goodness they don't smell. First off, because <laughs> we'd have problems with them if they could They'd never get. Yes, that's right. That's what everybody always says. But um, but ultimately, their number one means of communication is pretty much all verbal is all vocal. And uh, that's what makes it so cool is they there's you know, there's 15, 18 identifiable turkey sounds. and There's probably another uh, eight to 10, in my opinion, sounds that are not uh labeled if you will and have not been designated as a particular sound there's different whines and wits and and growls and uh and different types of clucks and bubble clucks that they do that i think aren't really that aren't even named so they have probably in my opinion 20-25 different sounds that they use to communicate with and each of those sounds have variations and that includes pitch and tone and cadence and they can say something different with the same – a Yelp can say about four different things. It's just the Yelp of a turkey. It can be aggravation. It can be excitement. It can be contentment. And that's the beauty of it. And, and the more you dig into this language and you understand it and you learn to master it and actually communicate with turkeys and not just call at turkeys, you're going to find yourself calling in a lot more turkeys. And it's hard to convince people of that. People go to the woods they cluck, cluck, yelp, yelp, cluck, cluck, yelp, yelp, and that's all they know. And they make turkey sounds, and they kill turkeys to some degree. And some of it is, a, is woodsmanship and learning how to set up on a turkey and be where that turkey wants to be anyways. You, you, in, you intertwine that with decent calling, with basic calling, and that will kill turkeys. But when you truly master the language and understand the language, it takes hunting them to a whole nother level. The success rate will increase tenfold.
2: That's that's extremely interesting to me because I'm I I, last year I killed five turkeys in between three states and I thought that was pretty good. Well and and you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that to go to three different states and have success in all the states. But but I I was always, you know, I've never claimed to be a good turkey caller. Mm -hmm. And I've always done exactly what you said. Woodsmanship first. Right. I figure out where the turkeys are and I know where they're gonna be, and I always say if you can't call in a turkey, just figure out where they want to be and sit around, and eventually they're going to come by.
1: Exactly, and, and you
2: know, yeah. so to hear you talk different, it's kind of encouraging that I can actually get better at what I'm doing when I'm calling.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've always said this, and and as people get to hunt with me over the years, um, and and coupled that woodsmanship with grand national level calling, it, it, it let me let me rephrase that, and not sound pompous with just really proficient calling. Okay. Realistic and proficient calling. When you couple Mm -hmm. great woodsmanship with the understanding and the ability to perform the calls and understand what the calls mean, then you become a Turkey Turkey serial Is What I've always said, you're, you're a killer. I mean, you're not just a hunter that bags a bird or two or three or four, even you become consistent everywhere you go. Most any state, any time of the year, no matter what the breeding cycle is, you'll find a way, whether you're, Working on the gobblers that are still flocked up early season, and you're having to stage fights with fighting purrs or your gobbler yelping to them or you're gobbling at them to challenge them to find out who the newcomer is when you 've got a bachelor flock all the way to the end of season when it's sometimes easier if the pressure's not been on too bad the hunting pressure that is, and you can just you, the gobblers are out looking for love, and the hens are nesting and they 're paying them no attention then it's the easiest time to call them because they hear any hand and they're going to come looking for love if you will so I mean the you learn to do that; right. it's going to make it's going to up your odds of success. And and having a very very deep bag of tricks and understanding this language and having different scenarios that you can throw at them is going to also further your your uh, success rate.
2: That that's super interesting, and that actually gets me excited more about uh, <laughs> hunting the fall season because I've had terrible luck in the fall. Right. I, I I can't call a turkey in the fall to save my life.
1: Well, they're definitely a different animal, but I'm sure there's a science to it. There is, there is. I mean, you're capitalizing on brood flocks, which are hens, jennies, and and, and mama hens. Uh, I'm sorry, jakes, jennies, and mama hens, and then you're capitalizing on bachelor flocks of gobblers, and then sometimes you'll capitalize on a flock of jakes if you just don't mind shooting a Jake in the fall. Which I actually have no qualms with people shooting a Jake in the fall, if that's what you, you know. But that's the the three basic fall flocks that you'll get. And, we're, we're 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 talking more about spring, obviously here, but that's a whole another podcast. If y'all want to talk, right. maybe this fall about fall turkey hunting. But yeah, absolutely, you're going to be doing kiki key key runs and lost yelping and gobbler yelping. Uh, you can even gobble during the fall, quite honestly, if you if you know that you're engaging a fall flock of a bachelor flock of gobblers. So it's there's a whole another set of tactics that involve that, but you can be successful. But they are definitely, in my opinion, can be less call receptive in the fall. Especially when they're flocked up and they don't need to come investigate who this one hen is that's lost or you're trying to emulate this loss. Um, during they're in the spring, they're they're getting together a lot more. There's they're broken up in separate flocks, they're looking for company, they're they're trying to find that companionship or find a mate, if you will, and that and that's what we're capitalizing on and exploiting in the spring. Hmm. Very cool.
0: So when you talk about different scenarios, so for this spring hunt, say, early season, I mean, I know that you you are in Florida right now, but you've hunted quite a few states, I'm guessing?
1: Already, I've hunted Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida, yes.
0: Okay. This season, this season. Does it vary? Okay. Does it vary depending on the state and, and time of year that you're hunting, I guess, time as far as season?
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean...
0: Like, does your calling...
1: It it you what you have to do basically when I when I set foot on a new in a new state or even uh North Florida versus Central Florida versus South Florida even. Um you're going to have to, to put boots on the ground and kind of get a feel for what those turkeys in that region are doing at that time frame. And that's part of the identifying process, whether they're in the gathering phase where there's a lot of gobbling and they're trying to gather hens, that's when they can be very receptive. Second phase is they're with the hens and they have their harems and they're breeding. And that's when they're hardest to call, but you're looking for subordinate birds. You're looking for those non-dominant birds that don't have a harem. And then at the end of the season, if you can find birds that are still actively gobbling and they're still in the mood for love, those are going to be the easiest to call because the hens are nesting. They're leaving them right after fly down and there's not much going on. They're just out trying to find a hen that will still be receptive to breeding. So to answer your question, yes. I mean, Florida obviously comes in season first because we get warmer quicker. um, And the the warmer it gets and the days get longer quicker down here because we're closer to the equator, basically, then that's when the amount of daylight that their retina takes in is what triggers the testosterone in a gobbler and causes him to start getting froggy, if you will, and know that it's breeding time. As well, weather does play some factor in that, but more than anything, it's the amount of daylight that his eyeball, his retina takes in. And as the days get longer, the more testosterone is produced, which triggers them into breeding. Again, when it does get warmer, as it does, you know, slowly but surely, as we go later and later in the spring, and you go further north, you know, it's gonna. It it traditionally can be a lot cooler in Minnesota. You can have freezes in Minnesota in the spring. We know that, but but um, as you get from the in the southeastern states, especially you know, it gets a little bit warmer, a little bit warmer, a little bit warmer. And then for you guys, mid-April and in May, your season runs into May, correct? Up in, like, Minnesota? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. by May, you're very likely going to get 65, 70 degrees for highs. And that's definitely also going to put them in the mood for love. So, but what I always say is the weather and, and all that can be thrown out the window any given time because you never know exactly. It's like the rut. You know, the rut's supposed to take place during an eight to ten day span, but But you might go to western Kentucky and it's going to be the first week and they're hot, the does are hot. You might go 100 miles to the east of that same region and they may be be four or five days behind. So you're going to get that same type of deal with with the hens that are coming in and what phase of the breeding cycle that you're in. So you you really have to assess it as best you can once you're hunting an area for a few days and you start getting a feel for how they're gobbling. Are they reacting to a call well? Are they not reacting to calls well? Are you hearing a lot of hen vocalizations that means that they're trying to gather gobblers or trying to get a gobbler's attention. Um, you're trying to assess what part of the breeding cycle you're in. And that's what I do as soon as I get on the ground in, in a new spot. Like for this, for example, this weekend I'm hunting Oklahoma and maybe even Texas. We maybe hunt both states. And it's 90 degrees in Oklahoma right now. But guess what? Friday night it's going to be 34. So we're having a huge temperature swing. And that could, could do great things for us because, quite honestly, when it's super hot like this and then it gets chilly like that, I've seen it like recharge their batteries. It gives, because they're getting hot. They're getting worn down. They're a dark bird. They draw in a lot of heat. Gobbling is expending energy. And I think they get gobbled out and they get bred out. They get tired. Then they get a little cool weather and maybe a little front come through, a little rain cools them down and it kind of recharges their batteries. So we're not sure what we're going to get. Um, but I have gotten reports, for example, from my buddy Mark Scroggins that the, some of the flocks are still together and he's having a hard time. They're not real receptive. So I, that tells me. <clears throat> that the hens are probably with the gobblers for the most part, and there's no need for them to come to a call or come looking for a hen. Sorry, I got long winded on that one. There, I was just trying to. <laughs> yeah,
0: what... No, that's no, right. that's great. What do you do? I guess when when calling doesn't seem to work, or does it always work for you? Because <laughs> I know for especially beginners, and for someone like me.
2: You always hear that, oh, they're hand up. Can't get well, them down.
1: they're hand they're
0: up. They're not you, responding to calls.
1: I uh, you talk to the hens if you can. I mean, that's the, ultimately what I try to do. It doesn't always work because sometimes they just don't talk to you. But what I love to do when I know they're hand up is uh, I love to do a lot of kiki running, which is a fall call generally, but it's what a, what a younger hen will do a lot of times in the spring especially if she's looking for company. Um, I do some lost yelping to try to gain the attention of hens. Um, I do basic yelping. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to get a little more aggressive and try to to, to, to uh, get a reaction out of the boss hen. Um, there's a dissertation I love to give about calling to hens. I mean, I can give it real quick. I, I've done it a lot of times over the years, and it's a great rule of thumb, I think, when you're engaging hens, is simply put, remember this, There's a, say he's got hens, there's a boss hen, there's a dominant hen in that harem. And she's going to have one of two personality traits. She's either going to be really passive and coy and shy, or she's going to be that aggressive, dominant hen. And that's the one that you hear people talk about. Oh, I started cutting at her real hard and aggressive, and she started cutting at me, and then she ran right over and brought the whole flock, and I shot the gobbler. Well, the problem with that theory is, and that method is, if that's that, if that hen is coy and shy and not confrontational, all you're going to do is make her turn the other direction and leave, and it's because she does not want to be in a fight, she doesn't want to get in that other hen's face and have a cat fight so you always start when you're when you're identifying he has hens is to just be civil you know turkeys don't want a bunch of chaos if they don't have to have a bunch of chaos they like to be civil for the most part and just talk amongst each other and what i do with that mean is what i mean by saying that is just do some soft clucks and some yelps now if she starts clucking and yelping back to you then you just carry on a nice conversation and just y'all two talk and you cluck and yelp back to her and you be inquisitive And she may wander right right over there just to say, hey, who's the new girl over here? You seem real nice. If it's that shy hen and you start attacking her and cutting because she yelps at you, very likely she's going to turn and go the other way. Now, if that initial plain yelping and clucking, that soft civil talk doesn't work and she starts to get aggressive with you right off the bat, then you can step your game up and get a little aggressive because you've struck a nerve with her. And then she may end up becoming the challenging, she may be that dominant hen and then she's going to come over looking for a fight and she'll bring the whole flock over. So you have two ends of the spectrum that you have to identify before you just start getting really aggressive with the hens. So to go back to your, to your, your question, Allie, I mean, you can a try to talk to the hens if they're hand up, you can be, we haven't, I haven't got here yet. Just pattern the birds. I mean, you just have to set up and know where they're at. I think Phil mentioned that earlier. I mean, just putting good woodsmanship to, to use. I hate, I hate to say deer hunting turkeys cause it's not very fun. But you are out there to punch a tag. You're not out there for your health. So if they're not being call receptive, right. do your homework <clears throat> and do your scouting and start figuring out what these birds are doing and where they're frequenting. And a lot of times when I do that, I'll set up and just cluck and purr and scratch in the leaves and emulate feeding hens and just uh, wait to see if something happens and see if you can't put yourself in, in the path of a turkey like you said earlier, Phil. So that's what happens when, when calling doesn't work or when, you, when you're trying to call to the hens if the gobblers not being receptive.
2: Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you talk about just sitting there and plucking and purring and, and, and or clucking, not plucking, plucking if you get the bird. Um, <laughs> because about about 10 years ago, I was in central Nebraska, and they were, the, the turkeys were henned up. I had no idea what I was doing at this point. I think I had shot maybe three or four turkeys mm-hmm. in my life at that point. And, um, and all of a sudden, a, a, a hen came out and just got about five feet from me and sat there and it didn't sit but sitting just walked around the scratched and pecked and I heard probably about 20 different songs that she made yep and so the next day I, I told myself I'm gonna go out there and I'm just gonna make all the same songs that she was making or as many as I right. could and about uh, an hour later a Tom came underneath the fence looking right at me um, like he was looking for that same hen I'll be and I shot him and I thought well, I'm going to do that every time. So that's kind of what I do now. I sit down with a, a diaphragm call and a, and a slate call, and I, I purr and clock with my diaphragm, and I do a little bit of yelping with the right. slate at the same time, and it seems to work just Absolutely.
1: fine. Absolutely. Whining is another great call to use for that situation, the little feed whine, um, little soft muted but yeah. yelps. Like a like you said, you, you yelped a little bit on the slate call, I think. Yeah, just those soft muted yelps, like a tree yep. call almost, just a very under-the-breath type yelp just to simulate a, fin- a hen that's just happy and easing along and feeding. Absolutely. And did that gobbler even, he never gobbled, did he? Did he come in quiet?
2: No, no, he never once gobbled. Yep. He just came walking in. I shot him at like, he didn't come in. He came in maybe to 40 yards. He saw my decoy and stopped. Oh, uh, okay. And I, I, that's another thing. I'm almost convinced I'm better off hunting with all decoys. <laughs> because every time I seem it seems like I put out my decoys, they see him and they stop at like 60 yards. But he stopped a little too a little too close, and my pop
1: Exactly. Well, there you go. You set up in the exact spot that you needed to. If he was riding gun range, and I'm with you on the decoys. I uh I experimented with decoys. I get that question a lot because a lot of people that follow what I do they realize that I don't hunt with decoys. And um, every now and again, I'll be with a guy that might have one, and I'll go, you know what? We might do this because the woods are so open, we can't use the terrain to hide the hen. That's my I like to think that's my terminology I've come up with. Hide the hen. You're just putting yourself in a position where when that bird makes a look, when he comes in close enough to lay eyes on the hen he is hearing, he is dead. He's in gun range. And that's how I've learned to hunt, and that's before decoys. So I experimented with decoys in the mid-90s when the old ugly feather flex decoys came out, and I had them lock up on the decoys 25 years ago, just like you're talking about. And I did that two or three times, and I go, I've been killing turkeys. At that point, I'd been killing turkeys for a decade without them and learned to hunt without them. I was like, I don't need to. I don't need them now. So I, I just threw the thing in the garbage and away I went, and and continue. I mean, I could count on one yeah. hand the turkeys I've killed in thirty four seasons with decoys. Literally, maybe a hand and a couple fingers. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, I'm with you there. I bought a pretty well. I, I guess I shouldn't say any brands. I bought a strutter <laughs> decoy, and I, I just had zero luck with that thing, and I don't ever use it. So I just go out now with my shotgun and my my uh, lunch.
1: And I just plan on going on all day. And there you go. There's another great topic for conversation on a podcast is just the patience that that needs to be exhibited to be successful as well. And I don't mean patience just as in sitting in one spot all day, although that can be successful. and, And there's nothing wrong with setting up for a couple of few hours and just blind calling is what I've been calling it for years. Calling not out of a blind, but calling blind because you're not actively engaging a Tom. You're just calling to, to try to elicit a response or for one to hear you way off in the distance. And the other thing is being patient when you're working a turkey. And that's where people go wrong and they they misconstrue the patience factor doesn't mean just sitting there all day long. It means when you've got a bird and he's working and just be patient. You know, put pauses and breaks in your calling sequences and go quiet for 10 minutes and wait him out. Let let the cat and mouse game begin and play on his emotions. Make him think the hen walked off and left him. He's been having this sexy conversation with his hen then all of a sudden she goes silent for 5, 10, 12 minutes. And very, very often they'll break and come right in because they think the hand that they've been having a conversation with walked off. Now, sometimes they'll lose interest and they'll walk off. There's always a, it's always a double-edged sword. And then when they do that, that's when I'll super fire them up. If I realize that if I go quiet for 10 or 12 minutes and he doesn't break and then I check him and then he's 100 yards away from me, that's when I'll scald him. I'll, I'll cut at him for a minute. And I'm like, I'm like, mister, you better turn your butt around and come back over here right now. <laughs> and I literally did that two different times in South Carolina. We killed three birds last weekend in South Carolina on public ground. And I had two of my guys missed, two of my buddies missed. So um, we should have had five birds. But I did that on two different – two of the three that we harvested, I did that exact thing. The birds drifted, and then I got after them. And I did, what I call it is scalding them. And you cut very aggressively for, a, I mean, a solid minute. And then you go quiet again, and then they'll generally get quiet. And you'll give them a minute or two, and then you'll check them again, and they'll close that distance in half very, very often. It's a great tactic to use. All right, so, you know, we talked
2: about um, all these different things that we've talked about so far. And, I mean, I've been hunting turkeys for 18 years, I think, and I'm not even close to the level that you're at. So, how does somebody... (laughs) I mean, how does somebody get from where I'm at right now to the next level? Because I feel I before talking to you, I felt like I was a good turkey hunter. Uh, now, <laughs> now I don't know if that's true anymore. So, how do how does somebody like me get to the next level?
1: Well, you know, a lot of it's trial and error, and and time, and and not being afraid to try new tactics, try new calls. Um, again, I think I go back and forth with the with I I, uh, I mentioned learning the language of the turkey, learn biologically about turkeys, learn about the different phases of the breeding cycle, learn the language of the wild turkey in detail, learn what each call means and why turkeys use each call. Um, Find a good friend that's been hunting longer than you have, that you know is very, very successful in the turkey woods, that is consistently killing turkeys year in, year out. Um, Pick people's brains, Um, obviously YouTube, and the net is just a wealth of information. Um, none of us had that growing up. I'm 44, so you know I, I have literally lived through the the internet revolution, if you or evolution, if you will, and um, and helped be a part of it. Honestly, I mean, I, a lot of what I've done in the last 15, 18, 20 years um, has helped with uh, with media, with social media, with YouTube with the internet and all the information that's available, use the internet, scour the internet, just try to learn as much as you can about the wild turkey and, uh, what makes them tick from a biological standpoint. That's a huge factor in knowing when the calls work, when there are different parts of the breeding cycle, uh, learn about setup, learn about how to move in the woods, uh, all the way down to patterning your shotgun and knowing your maximum effective killing range of your shotgun. There's so much out there that encompasses successful turkey hunting that's not just sitting down at the base of a tree and yelping on a mouth call or a box call or a pot call. So just uh, re- tap into all the resources you possibly can and, um, and then just personal experience. You know, Don't be afraid to be in the woods and to try a set of fighting birds. If that bird's hung up on you and he's not wanting to break and come into gun range... Then then try us to stage a fight with fighting Purse. try goblin at him, try repositioning on him. Uh, do you use a decoy? Do you not use a decoy? Um, there's so much that you can try and not be afraid to try that will will either seal the deal or it won't work. But I think I mentioned earlier in the podcast if you ha- the deeper your bag of tricks is and the more tactics that you can employ, the more successful you're going to be. Don't be one dimensional, be three dimensional when you're turkey hunt and that's gonna make a big difference in filling tags and just sitting in their woods and the open. That's
2: uh that's interesting that you say that too, because I think a lot of people I know for me, I'm a lot of times I'm scared of scaring a turkey away by doing something stupid. You know? And trial right. and error for me is kind of been thrown out because i've done what i've done for the last however many years and it seems to work but you know i, right. I can't tell you i could drive down to alabama tomorrow and hunt public land to kill a turkey you know I hunt, right. I hunt the same areas year after year and i know where the turkeys are and i know how to kill them right. but i couldn't go somewhere blind with a with a bag of tricks like you say and do that
1: right and i mean the biggest thing and it is a great point that you just brought up scaring a turkey the only sound you're ever going to make that could be alarming to a turkey, in my opinion, is if you uh, haphazardly create a alarm cluck or alarm putt, which is basically just a more more high-pitched uh, cluck with a slower popping rhythm. And that's what you've heard turkeys do when they're alarmed. Um, not necessarily going to run off, but they're nervous, something there is not right, and that's just that. Right. As opposed to cutting is it's a faster more popping more crisp rhythm. Uh the slower more high pitched popping sound is is what people can do and I don't think it happens very often honestly. I don't think it's something that you need to walk in the woods going I'm afraid to make a cluck because that cluck might be the wrong pitch. But it's something if you're if you're cutting then cut. If you're clucking be more subdued and be more lower pitched and less intense and less high-pitched, and I think you're going to be fine. So just try to steer clear of what we just talked about with that lawn putt, and if you're distinctively cutting or distinctively just soft-clucking, you're going to be fine. Just try not to get in between there, and if you get in between those lower softer clucks and and cutting, if you get in between there in the gray area, that's when you can go wrong, but I I just wouldn't sweat it too terribly much. You know what I mean? It's not something that you're going to be able to emulate um, accidentally, without really, really stumbling upon a sound that's just not natural that they're going to hear that alarms them. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Thanks for that.
0: So, Scott, you, you've you been talking a bit about calls. Obviously, you're a Grand National Calling Champion, and I also know that you have a turkey calling app. So could you tell us a little bit about the app and how that could help somebody, you know, learn some of these specific calling techniques?
1: Absolutely. It's called Turkey Tech with Scott Ellis. Um, I think on the app store, you have to, um, I'm sorry, Google play. You have to put Turkey tech with Scott Ellis on the app store. You can put Turkey tech in, but either way, Turkey tech with Scott Ellis will bring it up and it's a great project. I'm really proud to be a part of it. Um, it's, it's a lot of great information. It basically is, um, the wild Turkey is audio of the wild Turkey creating about eight or nine of the main calls. Um, it has me giving the calls and audio as well on a mouth call and a pot style call. It has video instruction of me teaching you how to create the call on a mouth call and on a pot style call. Um, as well, it has a recorder that allows you to record yourself and then play it and loop it along with wild turkeys, more importantly, and with my calling, if you want to compare to my calling and last but not least, it has written text tips that talk about the call um, what it is, what, when turkeys do it and when you should use it as a hunter. So it literally, I mean, a guy or a gal could, could buy this app. It's four ninety nine. They could run through this app the week before Turkey season and do some practicing and have somewhat of an understanding how to walk into the Turkey woods and how to call up a Turkey. It really is an amazing tool. It, it absolutely shortens the learning curve like no other thing I've ever designed or been a part of. I have two DVDs that's available as well that you can purchase at scottellishunting.com, and that's Mouth Call Magic 1 and 2. And those, those are more instructionals on just calling. It doesn't go into as much detail um, about what the call is with the written tips and telling the call and when you should use the call and when turkeys use the call. But it's great for learning the sounds and how to recreate the sounds on a mouth call. Um, but the app goes a little step further, if you will, and and gives you more in, in depth information on how to set down on a turkey and use the calls that you've developed this set of skills with that you've polished your turkey calling ability with. So it, they're both great tools. Um, I've got a lot of tips on my YouTube channel. It's Hunt Quest. Um, my show Hunt Quest is on YouTube as well. And I and I try during my show to constantly give um, in-the-field interviews about what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing. And and I think that's a great help to the turkey hunter to watch it go down live action and see me actually calling in a bird and harvesting a bird. And uh, we talk about what we're doing throughout the hunt. I try to be engaged with the people that are going to be watching so that they can help them learn and put all these skills that they're learning, put them to use, and, and apply them to a hunting situation.
2: So really what you're saying is that I don't I don't really need to do trial and error. I can just buy your app and I'll get
0: myself. <laughs> right? I
1: mean, you know it gets it, it's 101, you know, yeah. it's turkey hunting calling 101. It definitely and he, and here's my thing. People ask me why do you do that? I mean, why do you give these secrets and, and the stuff that you you've worked on and learned yourself through the school of hard knocks for 30 plus years. And here's my here's my explanation. Um, people are busy. Humans are busy. They work jobs. Um, Some people will never dedicate themselves to the way I have, to learning the wild turkey and to learning to call to the level I've learned to call with. They just love to go out and hear a bird gobble, and they love to harvest one once in a while, and that's awesome. And what these tools do is help shorten and shallow that learning curve so it's not so steep. And my philosophy is this. If I can help a turkey hunter become a little more successful with my app or my tips or my DVDs, and it helps them, and it create it helps them to, to harvest a bird and it creates longevity, it makes that person have a little bit of success with maybe a little less effort than you would need if you were going to go go di- diving deep in like I have over the years. You know, it shortens and shallow[s] that learning curve. It allows these people to become a little successful with a little less effort, then that's going to create people that's going to buy hunting licenses. They're going, to, they're going to be a part of conservation. They're going to join the NWTF. They're going to buy turkey calls. They're going to buy camouflage. They're going to buy turkey guns and turkey chokes and turkey loads. And it just helps prolong the legacy and in, in the, in the uh, tradition that we love is turkey hunting. So that's always been my philosophy about helping people is it's just if it makes it a little bit easier for them to harvest a bird, then we are going to create a lifetime of hunters. And if we do that, then we're going to continue to, to grow the legacy that is turkey hunting and spring turkey hunting. And that's why I kind of do what I do. Well,
2: that's, uh, that's, pr- I'm with you hundred percent there. I, I, and, and thank you for everything you've done with that, because that's, I mean, that, that's like the, the biggest part of getting people into the outdoors. That's kind of what this whole podcast is all about too, is uh-huh. giving people the opportunity
1: exactly giving them a little more information helps them helps them learn a little bit quicker and may, it may help them be successful and if they do they're going to continue to turkey hunt i mean you know you people go out in the woods and stumble around in the woods for four or five seasons and don't have any success there's a very good chance they're never going to turkey hunt again so right. if you can if you can make it a little bit easier for them and they may have that success, then then we're going to create longevity in, in our legacy of turkey hunting. And that's what I love about what I do and trying to help people. And that's why I started doing my YouTube tips about seven, eight, nine years ago is when I started doing my tips on YouTube and helping people out. Awesome.
0: Very cool. I do have one more question. Actually, came in from uh, Instagram. Awesome. Um, somebody asked, uh, other than a mouth call, what is your go-to for calling in turkeys? Which... I know you talked a little bit about, but I know myself, I kind of can't mouth call cause I can't, I gag when mm, I have the read. That's tough. I just, I can't handle yep, it. Yep. So I was curious where you would go then next.
1: Um, it, Next would be a box call or a pot call. Um, when I sit down on a turkey, mm-hmm. it's going to be always be a mouth call for me because it's hands-free. And in my mind, The level I've taken my calling ability, I recreate the most realism with the mouth call. But for the average turkey hunter, the the most realism may not necessarily be with a mouth call. It could be with a pot call or a really good box call. It could be a Woodhaven real hand or a Woodhaven ninja crystal or ninja aluminum. Great calls, very realistic. The only problem is you're going to have to wrap your hands around your shotgun on your knee and, and run that call. And you're going to have to set that call down at some point so you can make the shot. And that's when things can go wrong. Um, I use a tube call a lot. A tube call is a great call for uh, locating. I love to running. If I'm running and gunning, I love to run and gun with a tube call. It's very loud. It has a very rich tone. Um, It's very loud. You can get very loud on it and you can strike birds from very long distances. But um, to answer your question, a pot pot call or a box call would be the next two that I use. You can even use a push pin call. Um, I know people that are very successful. They're great woodsmen, and they go to the old pushpin call, which is a one-handed operation, and they can actually run that and hold the shotgun up on their knee and still make a shot effectively, and still cluck and purr and do some soft yelping on a pushpin call. There's nothing wrong with that call. It's a good uh, deal sealer, if you will. Um, but that's basically what I do, if or I would suggest to do if you cannot run a mouth call and if you have a gag reflex. Like you do, Allie, That's mother nature playing a dirty trick on you. There's, there's not a lot you can do to to use a mouth call um, if that happens. Um, again, a tube call can be an alternative to that, but unfortunately, you're going to probably have to resort to a push pin or a friction style call. Nothing you can really do about that. Okay.
0: Okay, um, and you know, just to wrap this up a little bit, I've I've enjoyed learning a lot from you. I know Phil has as well um but I where can people it. find more of you know what you have to offer as far as education and just to follow along with your hunting adventures
1: Absolutely I appreciate that um my YouTube channel is Hunt Quest um if you just type that in you'll find me Scott Ellis Hunt, Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis and I have just I don't know 80 90 videos on my YouTube channel and uh 21 of those videos are episodes of Hunt Quest my show that's two seasons and um turkey hunting deer hunting uh some hog hunting a little bit of waterfowl hunting um and on top of that there's tons of instructionals that i've filmed over the years just to help the turkey hunter like we've talked about earlier with the turkey tech app and the mouth call magic dvds but the tips are just uh also on setup and locator calls and yelping and cutting and clucking and purring all the different sounds they're they're there as well um You can find me on Instagram, Scott, underscore C, underscore Ellis. Um, Follow along. Give me a follow. I'm always trying to put good content. Uh, You know, I'm trying to, when self-signal allows, I'm trying to engage the fans and the followers with where I'm hunting. For example, Friday afternoon, I'm flying to Oklahoma City. We're going to be hunting Rios this weekend. I'm not sure of the self-signal, but I try to, to get people where they can follow along and watch how it unfolds, which is really cool. Um, I have a Facebook fan page, which is called hunt quest with Scott Ellis. And, um, I think that pretty much sums it up. Turkey tech with Scott Ellis on the app store and Google play. And again, my DVDs, um, Malcolm magic one and two are available at Scott hunt quest apparel is available there. And there's also a lot of tips and tactics on my webpage, Scott Ellishunting.com. So I think that pretty much covers the gamut of what I do. Um, and where you can follow along on the adventure and learn a little bit more about turkey hunting.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. And I will, in the blog post for this episode in power outdoors, I will be putting your, your links in there as well. So people well, can, you. if they're reading the blog post or, you know, however people listen, you know, it's, it's always good to provide those. So it's easy, easy access easy to access. get there. So,
1: well, thank you so much yeah, for having thank me you I, so much again. You're very welcome. We'll have to do this again. Look me up anytime. I love to talk Turkey and try to help folks and try to shallow that learning curve that we talked about.